What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, if you are a believer in the a win's a win phrase, I think you're feeling pretty vindicated after Villanova's 77-73 to home win over Georgetown on Monday afternoon on Martin Luther King Day. Eked it out is really the only way to put it, but Villanova snaps its three-game losing streak. They get back to three and five in conference, nine and ten overall. And we're going to spend today largely recapping the Georgetown game and then, of course, going over Villanova's loss at the cursed Hinkle Fieldhouse <laughs> last week. Yeah, I I think you look at it as it was most likely never going to be pretty just based off of how these last couple games had gone, but they desperately needed to win this game. And for Villanova fans out there, they needed to make sure that Villanova did not become the answer to a mm-hmm. trivia question of who was the first team that Georgetown beaten. I believe it's up to 680 days, but um, I might be a little off on the days there for for Big East team. So, as you said, not pretty whatsoever. Uh, a four point win here to the Hoyas, but they I guess they took care of business. Yeah, that's generous, to say the least. I say this, <laughs> like that's why I threw it, I guess, in there. <laughs> no, this this just wasn't a game that Villanova could lose, not only because of that losing streak that Georgetown had. It was now at 28 games. But Villanova's own three-game losing streak, we've talked a lot about how Villanova was on the bubble for a while because they hadn't had the big win yet, but they also hadn't had the big loss. And then hmm. they went out and had two big losses in a row. Georgetown would have been the ultimate big loss, So they couldn't lose it. They had to stop their own losing streak. Georgetown also dealt with horrible foul trouble. So going into the game, this wasn't a game that Nova could lose. But as it was going on, this was not an excusable loss. Luckily, they were able to, again, eke it out is really the only way I could put it. They looked strong at points. I thought this was one of their better first halves, if, if not the first 10 minutes of the first half in recent memory. And then, like it always seems to do this season, things started to unravel a little bit, and luckily they were able to to pull things back together to get a four-point loss over Georgetown, which I don't think makes you feel particularly encouraged, but it is certainly better than the alternative. Speaking of inexcusable losses, by the way, welcome back. Missed you last week, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I tweeted it. If anyone didn't see it, I didn't quit after the DePaul loss, though it was (laughs) a horrible time to leave Pat on his own. But actually, that is... A perfect reminder. I wanted to give you more credit on how amazing your solo episode was. What an incredibly coincidental time to record your first solo episode of the season, but you did an incredible job as always. And I thought you did really an amazing job recapping everything. I thought the uh, listener questions we got were phenomenal. And yeah, you just did a great job. Appreciate it. I think my voice is honestly still recovering from uh, speaking for 50 straight minutes there. And uh, I just want to give a big shout out to all of the listeners that sent so many questions that gave me a massive assist uh, for that episode. So I know it was not an easy one to hear uh, by any means, but I think, uh, you know, Chris from the full 40 kind of put it perfectly when, when summing up kind of my my opinions around it and what I went through uh, on that episode that having patience 
and screaming about your frustration because you're a huge fan of this team. Like they're not mutually exclusive. Like it, it's okay to preach patience and preach that give Kyle Neptune in such time while still going through some of the frustration that I think this year ha- has brought about. And I mean, that was the goal for what happened on Thursday. So I, I hope that's how it came across. No, it, it absolutely was. You can say that we hit rock bottom, which I think was the perfect word or the perfect title for that episode. <laughs> Almost until, wasn't. Yeah. Until there were five minutes left in that Villanova Georgetown game. Trust me, I was sweating today <laughs> from the from the stands. Like, uh, I, I titled it Rock Bottom, just more emotionally. That's how we're feeling. I even said on that episode, you don't even know when Rock you, Bottom is until you yep. lay up. Because I tried to cover myself. And then what do they do? They're losing a Georgetown with two minutes left. And I'm thinking, my God, the tweets I'm about to receive. Yeah, so thank home. you, Villanova, for pulling that one out. No, I literally thought the same thing. At least you said that you don't know you're at Rock bottom until something worse happens so it almost did (laughs) luckily we avoided that but let's get into the game itself I Mm -hmm. think there are a lot of different avenues to go down Pat and I don't think it's worth going through the blow by blow of everything that happened in the Butler game because when this comes out on Tuesday morning we'll be a few days removed from that but Luckily, and that is very sarcastically as I say that, there aren't a whole lot of new issues that this Villanova team is seeing every time it goes out there and loses. But I actually separated my thoughts into positives and negatives from this Georgetown game. I'm glad you have some positives. I had three. Two of them go hand in hand. That's harsh. Yes, there are are a couple positives. Absolutely. So I'll just start off and then give you the floor here. The, The two positives that go hand in hand is that Nova went two for four from the three-point line in the second half. When Nova went on their run mid-second half, mid-late second half, I should say, it was because that it was because they penetrated and dominated in the paint. And hmm. most of that was because Wahab barely played in the last 10 minutes, and I thought he did a really good job in the first half. But the larger solution was that Villanova took less three-point shots and penetrated the paint. When they were one for 10, when Georgetown went on its own run, it was because Villanova was putting up contested deep two-point shots. I don't think any shot they took in that 10-point attempt span was from less than 20 feet out. It was painful to watch. Finally, when they were able to get things going, it was because they were going to the basket. And I think another positive, this is definitely something we're going to talk about as the episode goes on, but I really liked the five neptune had out on the court oh you know i did for those late minutes arch Mm -hmm. did not play in any crunch time armstrong had a really good game and i'll throw it over to you for those thoughts there no 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 i listen they took 16 threes in this game now they made 50 percent of them which of course is a great percentage uh but i think they made 50 percent because they only shot those 16 threes can i just expand upon that for a second too there comes a point where yeah it's great when they're shooting 16 or even when they're shooting 24 against butler i think they had a good yeah they shot 32 percent, which you know isn't perfect seven for 22 against butler but i don't think it's a coincidence anymore that when villanova's shooting less threes they're more they're making more of them they're in that sweet spot they're starting to average a little bit less it's only when they go back up to the 28 and make seven or eight that this huge issue comes up again Yeah, and I think a part of it is just how the offense flows. Uh, When Villanova gets into those stretches where they take, you know, 32 threes in a game, it feels like a lot of the game uh, offensively gets played around the perimeter where there's not as much ball movement and off-ball movement as you would like to see. They kind of get stuck out by the three-point line 
as that shot clock winds down. And then someone's got to rise up and take a three that might not be your best shot there. As Nova gets a little more into, you know, using the paint and and kind of ball movement around it, it just feels like things are a little bit more in sync. Now they still offensively did not play this game. How I really, really wanted them to play it. I mean, Eric Dixon had four field goal attempts. I wanted this game completely run through Eric Dixon, try to take over that way. However, with that said, um, they still were in the paint a ton for it. They shot, I believe it was 48% uh, from two, which is important uh, to, to go for it. And of course, how did Villanova end up pulling away? They made 23 foul shots. Now, this was a actually quite poor free throw shooting game for the Cats. They missed eight free throws, but they got to the line an absurd 31 times. Back to your previous point about Georgetown being in foul trouble. So when you go to the line that many times, you are putting yourself in a position to just stock points. And that's exactly what the Cats did. And they won this game by four and they scored 23 times from the line it it doesn't happen and the cats probably suffer that cataclysm cataclysmic excuse me loss if they do not attack the basket in the way that they did nice word i love that i stumbled over it too the first time but it's the one i wanted to use yeah would have been a catastrophe um just to highlight that point a little bit more not to go down this deep negative rabbit hole no did that last thursday we don't need to do it (laughs) yeah pat did enough for that on one episode they shot 70% from the free throw line against Butler. And then they shot 74% against Georgetown. So not great back-to-back free throw shooting games. They are still, I believe, I haven't checked actually, but I still believe that they're the best free throw shooting team in the country, even they though are. those numbers went down a little bit. So they even had some some wiggle room in there. Mm-hmm. But you would like to see them miss a few less free throws for sure, especially when the game is is coming down to the last possession, which it feels like every game does at this point. Pretty much. <laughs> well, uh, we talked about it before. Like when when the talent level and and when the level of play is down, which it most certainly is for filling over here, you can't cheat the margins like like in in previous years. So they need to take advantage of being the best free throw shooting team in the country which means that they need to continue to get to the line. Now, the last two games, as you said, have been quite poor for Villanova standards, uh, kind of in the, if you take those averages together, being in the low to mid 70s, which is still not awful if you crossed, looked across the rest of the college basketball landscape. But for a team that's shooting, I believe, 85% as a team, which would break their own record, they said a year ago, uh, it's certainly a little bit of a letdown, but it also truly highlights how important those foul shots are for this team. You're right. It's not up to their standards. I do think Brandon Slater, Dixon, even uh, Caleb at times did a really good job when they needed a bucket, getting themselves fouled and getting to the free throw line. Mm -hmm. Another positive, and I know that you're going to want to talk about him, another really, really strong, uh, really, really strong Mark Armstrong game. And what I was going to say is that I think he should just play Georgetown for the rest of the season. Yeah, let's do that. Because he seems well, to let's do that anyway. Really Not even like, just Mark. <laughs> really like playing against Georgetown. Thirty minutes, fourteen points off the bench. He was really efficient. Five for seven from the floor. Made two threes. My only issue, and this is just nitpicking at this point, because again, we're not going to go through every issue that we've talked about for the last twenty episodes. It feels like my only issue is that it just feels like inconsistency is now his biggest problem. Because mm-hmm. it's no longer potential what we see against Georgetown from Mark Armstrong. 
But then you go to the Butler game, he deals with a lot of foul trouble. He doesn't see any time down the stretch. Mm-hmm. So him trying to find the balance of playing good, sound, fundamental basketball without fouling and also making him making his presence known offensively. Right now, the two are exclusive. He cannot have both of them at the same time. How concerned are you about him getting it together in, an, in a quick enough time to really impact this team down the stretch? Man, it's it sounds like a freshman going through his first, uh, you know, first hurdles really of that collegiate game. And that that's exactly what we've seen from Armstrong in these stretches. Now, he has combined for 28 points in two games against the Hoyas over his last three games, not against Georgetown. He scored nine points total Uh, against Butler at Hinkle. It was really, really poor from him. I mean, he picked up all of those fouls basically immediately from whenever he checked in. I think it was a, a point of being overzealous. There's probably some frustration with how the team had been doing lately. He wanted to make an impact, especially on the defensive side, where we know Nova has really struggled and was quite poor on Friday night. And it just, it didn't click. And it made him sit out for most, if not really all, of that game. Fast forward to the Hoyas on Monday. And again, I think what you saw here was the main attributes that make Armstrong so tantalizing as a Villanova guard. He was decisive. He was quick to the basket. He you know, was able to get in the lane. He knocked down his two threes, which were very important for a guy that's shooting in the mid 20%, you know, from three. Those are really key shots for him to knock down. He did not turn the ball over at all as a Villanova point guard. And, you know, he was in the game for most of stretch time. Yes, Chris Archidiakono did check in. A little bit down the stretch, it was mostly for Cam Whitmore, not for Mark Armstrong. And I think that goes to the level of confidence that Armstrong is being able to establish. So he needs to more work on eliminating some of those mistakes and getting into foul trouble. Otherwise, Villanova's really got a stud here in Mark Armstrong, and I'm excited to continue to see him grow. No, I feel the same exact way. It was another really strong performance. It wasn't as great defensively. If you'll remember against Georgetown the first time, he completely eliminated Primo Spears, which was super impressive. Spears had a really good game on Monday. But I wanted to bring up something that Donnie Marshall was talking about on the broadcast. He kept talking about how Georgetown struggles with balance versus feel and how you have a bunch of talented players, but they're trying so hard to stick to their formula that they don't exploit the weaknesses that the team is giving them or Mm -hmm. use their own strengths, take advantage of the weaknesses that the defense is giving them. And I thought that was a really good point, but I actually think it applied more to Villanova than it applied to Georgetown (laughs) because balance versus feel it's Mark Armstrong and Cam Whitmore versus what Villanova has been known for, for the last decade. And it has been Kyle Neptune's decision, the decision of his coaching career up to this point, to let those two guys go versus keeping the slow tempo, driving and kicking, finding guys behind the three-point line. You can see how successful those two freshmen can be when they're at their best. When Armstrong and Whitmore are both logging 30-plus minutes, that's insane compared Mm -hmm. to what we saw at the beginning of the season. It just is continually pushing and pulling which way this new athletic fast tempo way where Armstrong's going to go coast to coast and then Cam Whitmore's going to dunk it in your face, or you're going to wait for Daniels to bring the shot clock down and for Arch to dribble all the way up around the basket and not even attempt a shot under the rim. I think it's a really, really interesting issue because 
it doesn't seem like the way that it had worked in the past is working now. And I wonder if there's still enough time to throw all your eggs in the newcomer basket and just see if it works. Hey, I'm for it because I think you see the talent. It's so tangible. It's right there in front of you with these guys. Now, there are going to be opportunities where they do stupid stuff because they are freshmen playing in a ridiculously difficult conference. Uh, It happened a couple times with Cam Whitmore where uh, Kyle Neptune was, you know, free to pull him. And he he got straight in Cam's ear and I watched him talk through. I was at the pavilion today. Uh, on different some missed assignments or or taking uh, getting in a string where he took some bad shots, which did happen uh, at one point in the second half, immediately got pulled and he, and he talked to him on the bench. But I'm OK living with that because, again, it, it's the ceiling that these guys bring. It, it's not like we're sitting here with a Villanova team that's got a bunch of really established veterans playing great right now where this team is humming and it's ah oh, well wh- why are you going to introduce guys that you you know there's a little bit more variance to their play hell no this team is struggling you know to to find a rhythm and, and pull off wins so when the talent is there i think you ride that talent i take it as a good sign that armstrong played 30 minutes today i take it as a good sign that cam whitmore played 30 minutes today you know i'm completely comfortable with Archidiakno seeing those minutes reduce a little bit more while he continues to to really struggle to impact games. Now, we know he does plenty of the little things, totally get that. But at some point when a team is struggling, they just need a little bit more. And I think Armstrong is a guy that, that can give you that. So I hope that he continues to stick with that. And I think it'll be really interesting to watch how that develops here as we finish through January and move into February. Yeah, and it's funny because Neptune has faced a lot of criticism so far amidst this losing streak. I don't know if the main reason is because Whitmore and Armstrong haven't been given enough minutes. I think it's more so on Whitmore and Armstrong to prove that they deserve those minutes. Mm -hmm. Whitmore might be past that because when he is on the court, he's taking and making most of the shots that he's attempting. But the way you said it against about Armstrong was perfect when he's not being overzealous There's absolutely no excuse to keep him off the court. And I think Neptune has generally done a pretty good job with that, at least more recently. It's just when they completely pin themselves down and shoot themselves in the foot when Neptune has no choice because Armstrong has three fouls in the first half. Yeah, that's definitely what we're trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm for it. It's a little bit of a development here, but you know, we we've talked about it. Kyle has shown from day one, really a, at least an openness to playing these guys and watching them try and earn those minutes uh, more so than we've seen in past years. Um, this was a chance. This was a um, example of where these, both these guys seize that opportunity and they deserve to be out there. And some may argue that Whitmore deserved to be out there more because I know he was getting pulled kind of back and forth for the last couple minutes of the game. So I'm for it and uh, interested to see how it continues to develop. Totally agree. He got any more positives before we move to the negatives here? I do. Um, and that would be one guy in particular. And Brandon Slater played his best game, and I can't tell you how long. And, yeah. um, you know, I, it, it's been something that we've mentioned many times over the last couple episodes, how disappointing Slater has been for, you know, stretches this season. He showed up uh, against Georgetown, and they they desperately needed him here. 15 points for Slate, uh, you know, has the back-breaking travel, you know, with under a minute left. And what does he do? He gets it right back uh, with the steal and dishes off to Whitmore, who finishes uh, with the dunk, which, of course, helped uh, take the roof off the place here. But 
you know, 15 points from, from Slater, just to put that in perspective, he had scored 18 total over the last three games. So it has been a real struggle for Slate. I even think defensively, he has been nowhere near, you know, what we've seen, I'll call it prime Brandon Slater when, you know, he's really locked in there and, and becoming a nuisance for teams. I thought we saw that on uh, on Monday afternoon, which is an incredibly important develop, but development. Now, we haven't seen it with consistency from him thus far this season, but when you get anything like those 15 points and the defensive performance he put in, it it does change this Villanova team a lot because we know how much the Cats struggle on defense. So they're able to get something from him there. It's a big step forward. Yeah, I think his progression this season has been really interesting because his rebounding numbers are also pretty non-existent over the last few games. He had two against Georgetown. Against Butler, he was also kind of a non-entity on offense. I think he only finished with five points. That yeah, sounds five, right, yeah. Five points, four rebounds. So his game is evolving, evolving. For the most part, it's been in a disappointing manner. I think you and I have made that very clear. But you can just see what he did against Georgetown and how lethal that can make him. He worked the baseline so well. He's able to catch, pump fake, and drive better than pretty much anyone you watch in college football. A college basketball, I'm sorry. It's almost like a football player out there. Yeah, call him a wide receiver working the boundaries. It's just, it's it's so tantalizing to see what he can do. And it's so frustrating that he doesn't do that every single game. I, I know that that's probably what so many people are thinking because the way that he can back down the forwards on a lot of opposing teams is really impressive. And it just doesn't happen enough. And we hope and we can cry it from the rooftops that this is the game that jump starts him in that direction. Five uh, Villanova players had over 10 points uh, in this game. That's How often does that happen? Not very often. It is usually Dixon and Daniels with, you know, Whitmore throwing something in, and then we'll see what happens, you know. Uh, so I, I'm very happy to at least see that offensively. Yeah, remember that episode we had? It was probably a couple weeks ago at this point where you felt like the issue was the defense and I felt like the issue was the offense. Mm-hmm. I keep going back and forth every single game now because I really liked all the points you brought up then. And I continue to be frustrated with the offense, but it feels like the defense is the huge looming issue. But I don't know if they also have to be mutually exclusive. feels like we keep saying that word. (laughs) They're both an issue. (laughs) Yeah. They're both an issue. When Villanova goes on good offensive runs, it's because they clamp down on defense and it's because they're able to force turnovers and push the pace a little bit set their offense and go when they're bad offensively it's because they don't get set on defense and you go on and on and on so I'm trying not to force myself into a hole anymore they can both be bad they can both be good at the same time luckily in this game the offense was just good enough that it was able to overshadow the defensive deficiencies that that lingered throughout the second half I appreciate and understand your point. This team's defense will make me things say things make me say things that I cannot say on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and we saw it again uh, against Georgetown. Um, the, I, the frustration is really boiling over uh, w- with how they work defensively here. I mean, the Hoya shot fifty four percent from the field here. I think I I had tweeted out on Friday during the the Butler game that Butler has the lowest points per game in the conference. They shot fifty seven percent from the field that is just that cannot happen uh for this team uh you know it 
it's been a struggle for them to really grasp the the switching that Villanova is so known for. And it is such a difficult system, by the way, to be able to adapt to. Uh, I know Primo Spears really hurt Nova down the stretch, getting those switches on Eric Dixon and going up uh, with uh, with some mid-range jumpers that he was able to drill. Uh, Kyle sat in a zone for actually a pretty long time uh, in this game as the Cats look to try and find something else uh, to be able to help lock things down uh, for themselves. It worked at times, uh, but Georgetown was also able to to most certainly get through it. And then the numbers that just, the numbers <laughs> that just really stand out to me. I went through it on the on Thursday's episode. Now I have an updated version of it with, of course, a game on Friday and Monday of points allowed in the second half over the last couple games. Um, of course, the 22 against Georgetown the first time through. But after that, 29 second half points to Marquette, 41 to UConn, 53 to Xavier, 45 to DePaul, 39 to Butler, and 40 to Georgetown. The second half defense on this Villanova team is horrific, and it continues to be a massive Achilles heel here, and it's why Nova has struggled to close out games. Now, of course, on Monday, they did, but when you continue to give up a 45 to DePaul, a 39 to Butler and a 40 to Georgetown in the second half, you are asking for trouble and to put yourself in some rough situations. Those are not good offensive teams. No, they're not. It's not 53 to Xavier, which is a no, great offensive team, exactly. even though 53 is a lot. Exactly. We weren't talking about this as much against the Marquettes, Yukons, and Xaviers because it's a different beast. Mm-hmm. When it's DePaul, Butler, and Georgetown, Georgetown is one of the worst second half teams ever. You could you Not could take second half team out of there too and just go teams. <laughs> just the worst team ever. They got horribly out rebounded. They had one they offensive rebound and it didn't come until 35 minutes into this game. They let a Georgetown team that averages 43% from the floor shoot 54%. And you me- mentioned the Butler numbers too. There is no excuse. Nothing works. And I came up with not any solution, but just an example of how they can try and move this into a better direction. Because Butler's defense is what Nova's should look like. Butler has a very good three-point defense, and if you saw the way that they were switching onto guards, they didn't allow Villanova to catch and shoot. So in the previous games that Villanova has played, Primo Spears scored 19 because mm-hmm. he exploited all the mismatches around the perimeter. Lukosius had 28. He was five for eight from three. Deshaun Nelson had 24 off the bench. I kind of consider that the outlier because he just flat out beat Dixon down low. Zach Fremantle had 29 points because he exploited the mismatches. Stevie Mitchell at Marquette, three for five from three. Oh, Jordan Hawkins that's the one that at UConn. Me, the Stevie Mitchell one. 22 points from Hawkins because he exploited the mismatches. These aren't new weaknesses being uncovered Every time Villanova loses, a team gets hot against Nova because they are so bad at switches that a guard either beats Dixon or a big posts up a Nova guard down low or Nova's three-point defense bites them. It's not rocket science every single time. It's those two issues playing out every single time. And unless they bring the pressure closer and stop switching, this three-point defense isn't going to improve and you're going to continue seeing that trajectory that Pat keeps telling us about go up of really bad offensive teams looking really good against Villanova's defense. What what I'm getting really tired of is it feels like every game it's 
this player scored a new career high yes. against Villanova and it <laughs> yes. happened again on Monday. Jordan Riley scored 18 for the Hoyas. That is a new career high. Simos Lukosius on Friday night scored a new career high with 28, eclipsing the 27. He scored against Xavier at the Garden last March. He went to Stevie Mitchell. Deshaun Nelson for DePaul scored a new career high. When this continues to happen, I can't give you a clearer example of how much of an issue the defense is. It's almost comical that guys come out and set new career marks when they play against this Wildcat team. So it um it is a trend that I would desperately like to see end come Friday night in the garden. Yeah, it's it's a really bad issue. And it's unfortunately it's marring all the good stuff that Villanova's doing. And by good stuff I mean the emergence of Whitmore and Armstrong. Mm-hmm. The emergence of Dixon as one of the best players in the Big East. He really is. Caleb Daniels has been on a torrid offensive stretch, but we're not talking about any of that because Georgetown's scoring 40 points in the second half. Can we at least celebrate that uh Kudus Wahab across two games uh against Villanova scored a combined eleven points? Yeah. I mean, that's a big win, right? Based off of the last time he was a Hoya and absolutely annihilated uh Villanova all three times actually that they had played that season. So we'll take the small wins. That is a good win. Having the four fouls help too. But that's something that Villanova can exploit too, because it's very even that list that I just read off. There was one true big man. Fremantle, I consider more of a flex. Mm. The rest are guards. The rest are guards because that is Villanova's weakness, that perimeter D. It's not being down low. Dixon isn't the issue defensively. It's the guards being able to keep up, and that's the huge loss that Justin Moore had not being in this lineup. What Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, all those factors coming together Jordan Longino being out. That's another huge deal. Villanova definitely could have used his defense over these last it's been huge. Games. I actually so, don't think it's gotten enough of a spotlight how how big of a loss Longino's been. No, he's a really, really good defensive player. So how do you simplify the switching issue, Pat? How do you work to fix that? Do you completely change the offense? Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. they went to zone a lot. They even went to that full court press a lot, and it worked at times but you think it's pretty unreasonable that they can keep that up for a full 40 minutes. So what do they do? It's so, it's so tough because, you know, offensively we talk about the three pointers and say, okay, you know, let's, let's change things up a little bit. Let's get in the lane more. Let's run it through. And I think that's more easy to pivot to a defensive system is something that you put into place over the summer and work through it and, and really drill home. It is very difficult to then try and pull the plug on uh on the the normal game plan and how the flow is supposed to work because it's supposed in theory things are supposed to get better the more it comes out there and the more you're able to pressure test it that obviously has not been the case here for nova if anything i'd like to see a little bit more help from these guys rather than leaving uh switches into one-on-one opportunities now does that leave for the potential for you to get burnt uh with shooters one thousand percent I would counter that and say Villanova gets burned by shooters anyway. So you might as well try and bring a little bit of extra help. Something that Nova has been very reluctant to do this year is go over screens as well, which is a part of why the three point shooting defense has been so poor because teams are able to get a little bit better looks. That's something that I think you can coach to, you know, add a little bit more of in the game to keep shooters a little more honest rather than going under and, you know, trying to make sure you're not losing your footing and are in a good position for any sort of cut towards the basket. Uh, I'm comfortable 
you know, going in and out of the zone, just seeing if it works. Some teams can't play against the zone. And you know what? It'll make sense to sit in it. Villanova actually sat in that zone for quite a while uh, against Georgetown. And and I think that's okay. So showing different looks might help because this team very clearly has a deficiency in there. So at least if you can try and throw your opponent off and make things a little less comfortable for them, you know, that might be at least a bit of a boost. But it's this is a hard thing to try and fix in season. Yeah, that's really well said. I was thinking about how Villanova was also very known more towards the beginning of the season than than most recently, but putting all their eggs in one basket and leaving one guy open and letting themselves be burned by that guy if he happened to make that shot. And I'm thinking about the Hogarths and the Andre Jacksons at UConn. The issue now is that you shouldn't have you shouldn't be having those problems against Georgetown, DePaul, or Butler, because again, those aren't good shooting teams, period. You can exploit the weakness of one bad shooter on a better team, but when you're letting the entire team beat you, then it doesn't really feel like you have any options. And then that's when I personally start to look at the offense and see what the offense can be doing better. But the offense has been relatively okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's nice to see more players score in double digits and not just have it be Daniels and Dixon and Whitmore at times. But I don't know if you can expect this offense to start start scoring more than 10 more points a game. That's not realistic either. No, it's not. They're in a tough spot. And again, a winnable January at the time, they're currently two and five. And you've got a really tough February coming up. Yikes. Um, (laughs) yes, you are. No, you are completely correct. Obviously on the road to St. John's is never easy, especially when they are coming off a really blowing UConn away in stores too, uh, where, where it was not close down the stretch. I, I mean, there's a thing to make me smile in this uh, season, in this stretch of struggles for Nova. Um, and then Providence, of course, had the tough loss to Creighton. But we know that Ed Cooley's team continues to just find ways to win um, as, as ways to close out here. Now, we sit here on January 16th and record this. Villanova plays two games between now and January 30th. That is a lot of practice time. I think that is a good thing for Nova to continue to try and work things out, you know, fine tune what we've seen work and in most instances haven't worked, especially over the stretch of Xavier to Paul Butler and a very ugly one against Georgetown. I like that they now have this kind of opportunity to reset here a little bit and, and see if they can find any way to reignite and work on some things. So that if you want to look at it on a, bit of a positive note i will gladly give you that um otherwise as your point uh schedule is about to get real difficult real quick yeah and maybe they'll rise up to that occasion they've played a lot of good teams tough this year which is another conversation we've had at what point does that not matter anymore if you can't beat the bad teams but this this, the five starters and armstrong have been logging a lot of minutes Mm -hmm. so i i also think it's a very good thing that they're they're getting that stretch here. You have the huge Wells Fargo matchup against Providence. That'll be a huge game. Definitely a statement win on the season if they can go out and get that. Uh, I wanted to talk about Trey Patterson a little bit because of Jordan Longino's extended absence. He has been logging way more minutes than he has seen in his collegiate career so far. Yep. What are your initial thoughts so far? 
Uh, in most cases, I still haven't seen much from him. I do think today he put in some decent shifts on defense. Loved to see him, you know, be able to get a steal, run the floor, and, and finish through contact uh, for some points. There were not as many instances where I felt that he was caught out uh, in the low post. He really struggles with the zone uh, to ask him to guard areas. There have just been instances where I've noticed back cutters being able to get around him and, and him losing his guy more. So I think he's just someone that's more comfortable in a man-on-man environment where he can use more of that athleticism and that length uh, and that frame to try and body up some guys. It's been mostly a mixed bag here, but you know, if we're looking towards improvement, I I thought Monday was a bit of a step towards that. Yeah. I think mixed bag is a good way to put it. Um, He is horribly outmatched in the rebounding department. Yeah. It's been rough watching that. Yes. Also an underrated Longino miss there. Cause Longino is a lot, a lot of a better rebounder than we might've thought now that he's gone. So that's been tough to watch. The defense has been up and, you know, up and down. But I think generally he's playing better than I expected just because my expectations were so low based on the the few minutes we had seen from him at a time. And just to kind of push us in the the optimistic direction, potentially, I've been thinking a lot about the offenses as I've talked this episode. I'm really starting to think at the beginning, even of the second half of this Georgetown game, I had serious serious issues with the way Kyle Neptune was running this offense there was no emphasis to get down low and this three-point team has not shown any case to be a three-point team to to be frank about it but in the second half against Butler which was a good second half they just were so bad in the first half that it didn't show up and in the second half against Georgetown that last 10 minutes really when Nova went on their run this team has gone down low at a really efficient rate. Eric Dixon has had two solid games down low. You saw Slater step up against Georgetown, and you saw Dixon really dominate down low against Butler. You've seen Caleb Daniels drive more. You've seen Whitmore be really explosive around the basket. So I was kind of ready after the beginning of Butler and after the beginning of Georgetown to come in guns blazing, wondering why Neptune isn't tweaking this offense. But I do think in the last 20 minutes or so of Villanova play, there have been strides in that right direction. And of course, the I mean, the biggest number too is the amount of times they went to the free throw line. They know that that needs to be their bread and butter when they need a basket. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, and, and I agree. You know, I want to see them around the basket. I, I mentioned it before. I'll just say it again. Four field goal attempts from Eric Dixon is not enough for this offense and for when this team is firing it. Dixon needs to see the ball more uh, for and have more opportunities down there. But, you know, the, there were some tweaks. They did attack the basket. They only took those 16 threes. I take those as positive things, and we'll see if it continues to grow. Agreed. You got anything else here? One other thing. Um, Brendan Housen um, in – at the Finneran Pavilion for the first time this season. I know we've heard it both ways. It was called as Brendan Hawson. So I guess moving forward, we should officially go with Hawson as the pronunciation. At the Finn, he was called Hawson. When he, yes, when he made his uh, one three pointer, it was a three point field goal made by Brendan Hawson. No Hausen. way. Mm-hmm. That's, and, and I, I noticed that and immediately thought, all right, I guess that's it. And he'd been called Hawson before. I've heard, that. yeah, I the Finn and on TV, I've heard it, Hawson Hawson. Um, looks like Hawson's the way moving forward. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a little tidbit for uh, for wow. everyone out there. Yeah, that's a great piece of information. As somebody whose name 
that's mispronounced all the time, I can really appreciate this discussion. So I apologize if we've been mispronouncing it. But yeah, the TV had really been 50-50. Exactly. It was was totally a toss-up about which way the announcer was going to go. All right, so that's good, Brennan. If they're calling it that way on campus, I got to imagine that's the way to go forward. So that is is how I will be saying his name now. Love that. And hopefully we have more of an occasion to keep saying his name because he's taking more threes. We can, we're making, making more threes. threes. I say making more threes, most importantly. <laughs> um, and then last thing, just before we close out, uh, I know we mentioned them earlier, but I do want to shout out uh, Chris and Rob from the full 40 for the oh, space yeah. that they hosted on Thursday night. I did not speak in that space, but I was in that space for around two hours. Um, I, they did a fantastic job along with, you know, Alan Ray, Colin Gillespie. Jalen Brunson came in. Dwayne Anderson was in there. I know a lot of Villanova people were in and out. Uh, you know, Chris and Rob, of course, do a fantastic job uh, on their show, uh, as well as through spaces. They they always love doing that. And I think the one on Thursday particularly uh, was a great opportunity to uh, to really hear the thoughts of some Nova legends, uh, as well as Nova Nation as a whole. So shout out to you guys. I do think it says a lot about the current state of this program that that many people, high rise people like Gillespie and Brunson and A. Ray are in there preaching about how much they believe in this system. Yeah. That's got to make you feel a little bit better, better, right? You know, there was, I know that 2012 is the the taboo word here. We don't mm-hmm. want to be anything like the 2012 team, but Jay Wright had lows too. Yep. This is Neptune's first season. There have been, a, there has been so much change, almost too much to keep count. And there have been flashes of potential. They've just got to get some really, really big wins down the stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of tough to go from Thursday night and then having another disaster in Hinkle right. uh, 24 right. hours later. But uh, the point still tough, held. Though. Yeah, Hinkle's tough. It most yeah. certainly is. But it, it was a very cool event uh, on Thursday night. I know I kind of rushed home from a work event to make sure I could I could get into it. So uh, it was uh, it was cool. So uh, always for that. And like I said, shout out to those guys. Oh, yeah. What a that's an incredible achievement to be able to put that all together. The amount of people that were in there, too. So Cer- awesome. certainly is anything else from you. I don't think so. I'm excited for the break that these players can hopefully get a little bit. You know, as you mentioned, the lull in the schedule here before a super busy February where it feels like Tuesday, Friday, Wednesday, Saturday, every single week throughout the month. We got a lot of games coming in February. It's going to be thick and fast. So yeah, completely think that this could be a a big opportunity to hit that reset button for these guys, work on some things and hopefully come out stronger. Totally agree. They definitely don't have a shortage of things to work on. So (laughs) good timing. I, I would say so based on the episodes we've been having, but all right, that'll do it for us here on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU hoops. Be sure to check out VU hoops.com for all your Villanova content all season long. Follow the show on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Subscribe on iTunes and follow on Spotify so you never miss an episode. We will be back at it on Thursday. I hope everyone had a great MLK Day. I hope everyone has an awesome week. Nova Nation, that's a wrap.